0: Thanks so much for checking out this podcast from Anchor Church Southwest. We really hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, please check out our website, anchorchurch.com.au. Uh, Arnaldo Pastor here, uh, if we haven't met, my, uh, I'm the uh, pastor here, and I would love to meet you afterwards. I want to give a special shout out, special thanks to Eliza and to Josh, who came all the way uh, from Anchor City uh, to serve us while all of Wattle Grove, G.C, uh, which happened to have all of our musicians in there, uh, are away this weekend. We really got to rethink the concentration of where all our musicians are doing life together, right? But um, we're continuing this series to the Gospel of John, um, and we have been surveying some of the most intimate moments. Of Jesus' life just before his betrayal, just before his brutal death at the hands of both the religious and the state authorities. And we've seen this, that Jesus prefers to lead with a towel rather than a title, that he uh, leads by example rather than simple uh, sort of fiat or command. We've seen that our missional success, that if we are going to be the people of God where we are in our city, in our workplaces, then that is going to heavily depend on the embodied love in our communities, that the way we love one another will be the success of our uh, mission. We'll never look attractive to the world if we continue to operate out of any other center than the center of the cruciform love of Christ. We learn that to see and to experience Jesus is to see and experience the invisible God, that Jesus is the ultimate and the clearest revelation. He's uncovering. You know, the, the word revelation we went through a couple times, a lot, when we went through the book of Ephesians, and uh, this word revelation often to us uh, connotes sort of times end times and fire and brimstone and judgment, but revelation simply means uncovering. And Jesus uncovers who God really is, and so if we really want to know who who God is, who the creator God is, we look to Jesus. We learned that love and obedience are not polar opposites. We've often experienced them that way. We don't tend to put them together, uh, but those are the ways love uh, rather obedience is the way that we communicate and enjoy and express the love of God. And last week we were learned uh, we we learned um, that we were to call we were to find our home in Jesus. That we were called to abide, to make our home in Jesus. That in a world, in a world that offers us a million places to make home, to be the place out of which we live, to be the place uh, where we find our identity and our rest and our security, rather than making those things our home, Jesus becomes. Our home, And today, we're going to continue eavesdropping on this conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. And I pray and I trust that the Lord has a word for us this afternoon. But before we do so, let me pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you have given us enough health and energy to be here, and Lord, we don't want to take the billion mercies that we've received uh, 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 to get us to this point. The the health you've given us and the the, the resource that you've given us, a home out of which we are coming from, the the transport uh, by which we got here, uh, the the life and the breath in our lungs that gave us uh, the opportunity and the ability to be here, Lord. there's so many Things uh, that are hanging oftentimes by a thread, and yet we don't see it. And we want to be grateful and thankful and experience all of life as gift, as pure, unadulterated gift. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to experience our time together as gift. Help me to forget the things that are not going to be helpful for your people, and help me to remember the things that will be. And more than anything, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And the church said, and the church said, so I was introduced to the Buddy Bench, about seven years or so ago when we enrolled Anthony into his uh, primary school. It's a bright yellow bench in the middle of his school, in the middle of his playground, where kids uh, go and sit, right? And it's a strange mix of something that's really cute and something that's quite sad, right? The Buddy Bench. The Buddy Bench is where you sit when you're feeling lonely, maybe you're new to the school, you don't have any friends, you're looking to make friends. And so they put this bright yellow bench, right, the Buddy Bench, right in in the middle of the playground to make friends, and uh, that was used a lot by Anthony in his first couple years of primary. He's not here. I'm not trying to embarrass him, but he he used the buddy bench a lot in his first few years of primary, and it's cute, and it's thoughtful, uh, but it's also quite sad that there's a need, even a need, for a buddy bench, and on the face of it, it was just a yellow, old, rusty bench, but the fact that it exists, it testifies to something, it testifies to this deep-seated need that exists in the pit of our souls for buddies, right, for, for friendship, for companionship, and uh, we have this inextricable, we just cannot get rid of it. We have this inextricable desire for being seen, for being known, for being loved. We were created and we were crafted for companionship, for, for friendship, Right. And after Yahweh, God sung over his creation, and he called it blessed, and he said it was very good. There was only one thing after that that wasn't good, and it was for humanity to be alone, for humanity to not have a counterpart. And uh, this was God's buddy bench, right? God was saying that it is not good for you to be alone, and there was real there was no buddy bench there so what god did he created eve and, and gave her to adam and normally this this story in genesis 2 is cast in the light of marriage or sexuality and while those things are true it's also a story of friendship it's a story of companionship it's a story of being seen and being known and being loved by someone else but we know that the story takes a very dark turn when Adam I mean Adam throws Eve under the bus with a quickness like do you remember the story right like so God comes to Adam and says you know what have you done he goes well the woman you gave he throws her right under the bus have you ever been treated that way like Adam with the the first chance he gets throws his only friend right under the bus and ever since then loneliness has plagued humanity in a very 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 real way And we may be lonelier today than ever, right? With the advent of travel and speed and social media, we've actually grown further and further apart in many ways. We are more networked today in our world. We are more connected and yet we experience more than ever this deep angst and loneliness. So much so that the British government appointed a minister for loneliness back in 2018 and they observe a whole week of Loneliness Awareness Week to bring attention to what they call the epidemic of loneliness. And charities across the UK will receive up to two, two million, what what do they use? Pounds. Two million pounds to tackle this epidemic. That is an expensive buddy bench. Right? When you think about that, that is a lot of taxpayers' money going to a buddy bench. The reality is that we are lonelier than ever and we lack deep standing, deep seated, deep rooted friendships in our lives, and oftentimes this can be just due to the mobility that we exercise in uh, in our world today because we are rich Westerners, right? I moved 16,000 kilometers away from the only place that I knew, and that is a hard distance to continue and to sustain deep friendships. I was 22, and it felt like I was starting all over again. Friendships that I had for over a decade were disrupted, but for some of us, it's not that you move 16,000 kilometers away from home. You may just move a couple suburbs away, or you're changing your unique course, or you're experiencing this gap with the people you know between uh, expectation and reality called conflict. And regardless of where and why that is, friends are hard to find, and they're even harder to keep. And so this is what I want to do today. Thanks, Josh. This is what I want to do today. I'm going to focus on verse 15, and I am going to talk about what friendship, what what the friendship of Jesus provides us. I want us to be blown away by what the friendship of Jesus actually gives us, and I want us to learn about what the friendship Jesus overcomes and what it empowers us to do, what it provides, what it overcomes, and what it empowers. Come back with me to verse 15. No longer, Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Now before we do anything else, I want to just marvel at this fact that Psalm 33, I believe, says that God opens his mouth and galaxies come out, right? Stars come out of his breath that all he needs to do is open his mouth and suns come out, right? Like, that is mind-boggling, and that is the one who calls us friend. I was always taught over and over as a kid that God cannot bear to be near sin. I'm not sure if you've heard that in, in your uh, sort of theological traditions or circles, but uh, God was disgusted by sin. He could not be near sinners. He could not be near you if you sinned. I was often afraid that the, uh, I would get further away from God's love if I sinned. And I get that in a sense. I get that in a sense. But what, what do we see when God comes to earth? Like, what, what happens? What, what is his reputation? His reputation is a friend of sinners. He got real close to sin, right? He got so close that his, he had a reputation of being a glutton and a drunkard, right? Like, that is wild. Like, it's okay, like if you go to a party and you get, it happens once, but this guy is around prostitutes. And sinners and tax collectors, the social outcasts, Jesus, who's God incarnate, got real, real close to sin. He's the friend of sinners. He was their friend. And to eat a meal with someone during that time, we eat meals with a lot of people. For no reason, right? But to eat a meal with someone, for Jesus to sit down in someone's home, allow them to wash his feet and serve him like hummus and pita bread, and like all these all these beautiful things, right? Like and olives. To to allow Jesus to be served in that way by someone was to be called their friend. He was their friend. And isn't it true oftentimes that when we're friends with someone, there is something of a transference. There's a transference of social capital, right? And so to be a friend to someone who seems to be important is to kind of be important as well, right? Like that's, we want to be close to people who are important. We want to be seen as friends of those who are important. Because if if we just, if we get close to greatness, then we think we're great. If we get close to someone who is important, then we feel important, right? And so we will go to great lengths to get near celebrities and stars because if we can just post that on the gram that we were near someone, then I may somehow be seen in a better light. Yesterday, I I did this, right? So yesterday, I lined up for three hours to meet Shaquille O'Neal, right? I won a raffle. I entered into uh, you know I entered a a very great question for Shaq and I went over to the city to pitch street and I waited for hours just to get near Shaq right and what happened is uh, a bunch of uh, corporate fat cats were let in before us right us uh, plebs and they kind of ruined it for us so they were mobbing Shaq they were taking photos of him they were being disrespectful of his space and he actually left and I didn't get to meet him so cuz I mean I was about to get some clout and some likes on my gram if I would have just posted a picture with Shaq right like Appear, but but I didn't. But there's something in us that wants to get close to someone who is bigger than us, someone who is a little more important than us, because there's this social capital transference. If we feel like we can befriend the right people, but we forget that the creator of the universe invites us to the buddy bench, that the creator of the universe invites us into a friendship, and yet we're so enamored with sort of horizontal glory, and we forget that there's this vertical glory that is given to us as we are friends with Jesus. And friendship with Jesus, it provides for us at least three things, okay? First, it provides for us safety. Friendship provides for us Safety, because you know the difference. You know the difference between being with a friend and being with an acquaintance, right? Acquaintances are good; they're the, the social sort of oil of our of, of you know of our society. Uh, but someone is an acquaintance before they become a friend, and we should have many acquaintances, but few graduate into actual deep. Friendship. Friendships provide a context for safety to be yourself, warts, and all. And even as I say that, you know there may be a person or two in your life who who fit that bill, but not many others do. Friends provide the context for safety because you know that you are already loved, and so you no longer need to impress them, and so you can actually relax. We had a little bunny rabbit for a couple of years, right? Rest in peace, Donnie Nacho. He passed away a couple months ago. Uh, We were sad for about 12 hours, but we're okay. Uh, But he was the sweetest little thing, right? He was the sweetest little thing with an actual personality. He actually acted more like a dog than a rabbit. As soon as we would come home, he'd come, and he'd sort of try to get pats and cuddles. And uh, He was the sweetest little pet that we had for about two or three years. And bunnies are easily frightened, we learned, right? Bunnies can die of a heart attack during thunderstorms, and if you sort of like... uh, uh, sort of jostle them or or startle them. And so we would watch for signs of distress. In the beginning, would be very quiet. I wouldn't vacuum next to him because I didn't want to startle him. Uh, We would watch for signs of distress, et cetera. Uh, But one of the things that we learned about bunnies is that when they felt safe, when they finally felt safe with you, they would lie down on their sides right? Like, like very, very lioness, like very Lion King-like, right? They would just lie on their sides and be relaxed. That's when you knew they were safe. So I remember getting excited. I came home one day and Donnie was lying on his side for the first time. I said, Donnie's, he loves us. Like he's safe. He is comfortable with us. We were able to provide safety for him and we were no longer a threat to him because we cared for him. We fed him. We played with him. He Enjoyed his little short life. And this is why Psalm 23 is so crucial for our social imagination as believers in Christ. Because this is what it says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me what? He makes me what? Lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He makes me lie down. And there are some people in your life where you can just lie down. And and it's okay, you you are safe. And it's a picture of sanctuary. It's a picture of protection, of refuge. That's why Psalm 57 says this, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. You have to know this. That to be a friend of Jesus is to be completely safe in a world that is full of danger you are no safer today than you will be when you see him face to face in eternity you are safe now today what can man do to you what what can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ but our wounds often do right at least temporarily our wounds, our experience, the ways that our friendship and our trust has been betrayed and uh, uh, um, sort of bastardized in a lot of ways become a significant barrier to us experiencing the friendship of Jesus. In other words, many of us will carry heavy relational trauma in our bones, in our bodies, and that can often become a barrier to experiencing and accepting the friendship of Jesus because when we're betrayed and when friendship and when trust Is broken. When we weren't given the love and the safety that we all need to thrive, we build calluses around our hearts. And we begin to keep people out and it becomes actually impossible for you to lie down. It becomes impossible for you to form deep abiding friendships. And for some of us, listen, for some of us here, the first step that you can take towards accepting the friendship of Jesus is simply admitting that you don't believe that you are safe in Jesus. Because the only time simply admitting, simply admitting the truth about where you are with Christ is the first step into reality, and reality is the only place where God will change you. And so, safety the safety that friendship, uh, the friendship of Jesus provides, it overcomes our relational trauma that some, if not all, of us may be carrying. But it's not only that, the friendship of Jesus, the second thing is. It not only provides safety, but it's a clear picture of commitment. Come with me back to verse 13. Greater love, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. There is great, no greater love. There is no greater sign of commitment than someone dying for another. And with all due respect, Jesus, you are Lord of the universe, but I tend to disagree. It seems like taking someone to the airport or moving uh, their house with them seems to me uh, like the pinnacle of friendship. You only ask the very, 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 very best friends to move, right? That, that, is, that is a death to help someone move. Uh, But, you know, if Jesus and I diverge here, he's going to forgive me. But willingness to die, to lay down one's life for his friends is the greatest single act of love and therefore the greatest single act of commitment that we can perform. And Jesus, of course, doesn't just say this here, but he embodies it in himself in a day's time when he himself will lay down his life for his friends. And so the friendship of Jesus provides to us, for us, a commitment uh, for our flourishing like no other. And isn't that what love is? Isn't love, isn't love the commitment to see someone else flourish? Isn't love the commitment to see someone else flourish? Because before we allow love and commitment and the friendship of Jesus to take control, what happens is we must let go of fear, the fear of abandonment that we have, the fear that Jesus will leave us, right? The fear that Jesus will not take us to The end. The friendship of Jesus overcomes our fear. Jesus isn't afraid to commit himself to us. More than that, he's not only afraid to commit himself to us, but he's not ashamed to call us friend, to call us brother, to call us sister. Imagine this. This is a crazy thought for most of us in this room, if not all of us. Imagine this. Imagine that God is proud of you. Imagine that. Not not, not just tolerates you in your mess, but imagine that God is proud of you. You know, if God has a home and, and, and you walk in, there's a photo. He's proud of you. He, he likes to lift you up to the powers and the principalities to say, this is my son. This is my daughter. Like, God can be that annoying parent who goes on and on about their kids, right? We all hate those parents, right? Like, my kid graduated kindergarten too. It's okay. But God celebrates that. God is not just proud of the future version of you, but he's proud of you now. But so often, because we have been wounded by our parents, by our peers, by our teachers, it seems so difficult to grasp onto the fact that God, because of his grace, is proud of you. Proud because by his grace, you are not where you were, and you are not where you could be if you didn't have his grace. I have a dear friend who I'm walking with through his battle with drug addiction at, at the moment. And this week, I think today or tomorrow was supposed to be his 100th day sober. Supposed to be. He messages me the other day on day 97 or so, and he says, I relapsed yesterday. But after one hit, I flushed the rest down the toilet and immediately came clean to my wife. Let me tell you, that is worth celebrating. That is progress. And I told him this. I said, one day sober, I am so proud of you. I'm so, so proud of you. I didn't, I didn't say, man, damn, bro, that sucks, almost. You almost made it, right? Like you almost made it 200 days. No, no, I am so proud of you because he needs to know that despite his mess, I am committed to him as a friend and in a culture where we are only celebrated when we are quote unquote winning, when friends want to be friends, only when they can get some social capital from you, when they they come to you when you're on the come up but leave you when you're on the come down. It's important to come to people and say, I'm committed to your flourishing, and I'm committed to it the way it looks now, regardless of how we are performing. And you need to know today, right here, right now, that Jesus is proud of you, that as you sit here in your mess, that he cares for you, that he is committed to to you that he's committed for you reaching the end and this releases us from this fear of abandonment the fear that he will be disappointed the fear that he is ashamed of us that he will somehow leave us jesus's friendship to us means this that he is committed to you and that overcomes our fear that we may be caring about being abandoned or betrayed or abused and so safety the safety that the friendship of Jesus provides for us overcomes our relational trauma, but the commitment that the friendship of Jesus provides overcomes our fear of abandonment. And finally, the friendship of Jesus provides access. He says everything. Let's go back to verse 15 real quick. Everything. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made to you. All. All that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Because Jesus calls uh, calls us friends, he gives us unparalleled access to the heart of God, to the plan of God throughout the ages. We have access. Listen to this. This, like, you know, when I thought about this, it blew my mind that we have access to the one that Scripture says dwells in unapproachable light. How could that be so? How could it be that we have full, unadulterated access to someone who dwells in unapproachable light, that we have full access to the God of the universe through our friendship with Jesus? And listen, we don't gain access to God through our performance. It's very, we need to get that out of our minds, that we gain access through the performance of another, through the performance of Jesus. And as we identify him, with him, as we as, as we partner with him, as we pledge our allegiance to the king, what is true of him becomes true of us. And that's why Paul can say in Colossians that our life is hidden with Christ in God. And because that is true, we have full access. And access is a funny thing. We, we shouldn't uh, and we don't, but we shouldn't give our full access to everyone in the same measure. My, my wife Catherine has access to me, like not even my children have access to me, right? Like, we, we shouldn't just give out access, like, in friendship to everyone. We need to be wise, but in our quest to be wise, what often happens is that we go to the other extreme and we give access to no one. And the access that the friendship of Jesus gives us, it overcomes the thing that stops us from giving ourselves to one another, which is shame. Guilt, guilt will tell you that you are unworthy, which is true, Right? When no one in this room, no one who has ever stepped foot in this room or no one who will ever step foot in this room in the future is worthy. But shame will tell you that you are worthless, which is categorically false, which is categorically untrue. You are absolutely not worthless. You are worthy, right? Like you have been made worthy by Jesus. Jesus doesn't die for nothing. Jesus doesn't die for worthlessness. He dies to redeem a people, and shame will tell you that you are worthless. And because we believe the lies that shame preaches to us, we become people who could not imagine that anyone could ever like us. We accept that our parents may love us, even though, you know, that's questionable sometimes, right? But to like us, who would like me? If shame is the loudest voice in my mind, if shame is the largest preacher that I know, then shame stands like the queen's guard, not letting anything pass, not letting anyone pass. Shame cuts us off from the deep and the beautiful friendships that we are created to enjoy. And so our shame and our fear and our trauma, they begin to operate like this holy, unholy trinity that keeps us from receiving even the deep friendship of Jesus. But the safety of the friendship of Jesus overcomes our trauma. The commitment of the friendship of Jesus overcomes our fear. The access that we receive by the friendship of Jesus overcomes our fear. And this, this friendship that we've received now becomes the very center out of which we live our lives. It becomes our home. The friendship of Jesus is your center. It is a place out of which you live. It becomes this explosive power, this explosive fuel to be good friends. When we're loved perfectly by Jesus, we become free to love others because look at what Jesus loves. If I believe... That Jesus loves me, the most basic message and storyline of Scripture. If I believe that Jesus loves me, then I have the power to love anyone. And it is so easy, and I've said this over and over again, it is so easy to love humanity in general, right? We can all sit here and say, we love people, or we love this city, or we love this neighborhood, and these are the kinds of people we want to reach. But do you love the person next to you? It's so easy to love in general. It is so difficult to love in particular. If Jesus, the perfect one, can love someone like me, then I can allow that to fuel my love for other imperfect, sinful, on the way, stumbling forward saints. When we experience the safety of the friendship of Jesus, we can become eager to provide that for others. If Jesus can be committed to me, to me, who is so fickle, Right? Fickle in my emotions, fickle in my thoughts, fickle in my allegiance, and surely this imperfect, fickle, sinful saint can be committed to other imperfect, fickle, sinful saints who are likewise on their way to the eternal city of Jesus, can give me full access to the Father, give me full access to his heart, then surely, surely I don't have to hide my imperfections behind shame because he's seen it all and he still loves me. Safety overcomes our trauma. Commitment overcomes our fear. Access overcomes our shame. And all of this because Jesus calls you friend. I was talking to Josh before about singing this song, I Am a Friend of God. I'm Penteco- I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and that, man, that was on blast, on repeat, right? Like, I'm, I'm a friend of God. It was a beautiful song. Like, I am a friend of God. Like, you are God's. He calls you friend. He calls you brother. He calls you sister. God calls you daughter. God calls you son. And this week, I don't want anything more for you than for you to soak in the truth that you are a friend of God, that you are Jesus's buddy, that he has invited you to the buddy bench. As I invite the, uh, uh, Josh and Eliza up to, to lead us in worship, I remember the, si- the science project from the first or second grade, I can't remember, but uh, it, was, it was long ago. Uh, but when I remember putting a white rose in a glass, I'm, there's some teachers in the room You may have done this, and you put some like, food coloring or dye in the water, and we were not impressed. Like, I was, a, I was a first grader, I was not impressed by this. Except in a few days, what happens is that that flower begins to take the color of the water that it was soaking in, and I wonder, I wonder, just, just help me to imagine this with you, that if we were to soak ourselves in the friendship of Jesus, what could we become? What kind of community would we be? What kind of attributes would we begin to bleed out and show if we soak in the beautiful reality that we have been called friends of? God, that even while we were yet sinners, even while our whole lives were staunchly committed to living our own way and erecting our own morality, even while we lived in whole systems of being and living and thinking that were contrary to God, that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel is that God's... The gospel is this. God. The gospel is God's cosmic... Way of inviting us onto the buddy bench It's this big yellow bench that god is just sitting on and he's inviting us to sit With him and my prayer Is that this week we would experience more than anything The love that says I have called you friends I have provided for you safety. I have given you my full commitment. I have gifted you full access And may you rejoice and revel and celebrate and delight in the beautiful friendship of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you again for your goodness to us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you are merciful and that you are good and you are kind. We thank you that we sit here, we stand here, not needing to prove ourselves. There is absolutely nothing to prove to you. We are loved as we are, and you are rescuing us even from ourselves, and we wait for the day, and we hope for the day, and we long for the day that we see you, Jesus, face to face. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move now, that you would glorify the Son, that you would bring glory to the Father. That you would use us, as we sung earlier, that you would use us as vessels for your goodness, for your justice, for your beauty in this world. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' beautiful and holy and precious name. And the church said, Amen. Amen.